internet's full of true crime podcasts. More and more are added to the list every day. Figuring out where to start or where to go next can be overwhelming. But have no fear, I'm here to help. I'm Bob Ruff, and this is the place to find your next true crime binge. And welcome to True Crime Binge. Now you are. So none of you wanted to hear what John Ramsey had to say. <laughs> that, that wasn't even funny. They're just like, no, I don't. Fuck him. Like we don't care what he's got to say. So uh, how many of you are familiar with True Crime Binge? You listen to it all the time. Awesome. More than I thought. Uh, and how many of you are here trying to figure out what True Crime Binge is and why we're up here? Some of you. All right. So True Crime Binge is a show where every Wednesday we drop an episode where I interview other true crime podcasters. You get to know the podcaster. You get to know their podcast, how it's created, where it came from. And then we talk about a case. So you get an idea. The idea is if it's a podcaster you already know, then you get to know them more personally. And if you're just if you don't know them, you fic- you find new true crime podcasts to binge on. Hence the name True Crime Binge. So my guest today, I, you guys have probably never heard of these guys. They're kind of new to the space. <laughs> this is Aaron and Justin from the Generation Y podcast. How y'all doing tonight? <laughs> if you get them confused, Justin's the one that looks like a mobster, and Aaron's and Aaron's powder. <laughs> You, I think you just dated yourself. <laughs> so, give me one more time. How many of you are real familiar with True Crime Bench? You know how this works. So, for all of you people, you know that, that uh, last year we hired a production manager to help run the show. She does, the, she does more than I do. She does all the scheduling. She books the guests. And then she does research for me for when we do the show so that I can present and have a conversation as though I know all these facts about my guests. But <laughs> me being the knucklehead that I am, I have never once not been able to not manage to not call our production manager out for finding the creepy facts that she finds about our guests that they don't come from me. So what I'd like to do, the person that makes this whole show happen, I'd like to bring her up on stage just for a minute, because none of you guys have got to ever meet her, and let her present her creepy little facts. Please welcome Miss Erica Cantor, our production manager. Hello. So, now, when you decided to be production manager, you didn't know that you'd have to speak in front of all these people. Absolutely did not. Right. She's usually blacked out on the, on the uh, Zoom, so no one can see her or hear her. Um, so, uh, and I can't defend myself either. Yeah, right, yeah, she's not allowed to defend herself. So this time you can. So I don't know anything about Justin and Aaron other than their weird hair choices. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know a lot about them now. Okay, you do, okay so uh, why, don't, why don't you share some of our interesting facts about these guys? Okay, well, I'm going to start. I'll start light. I'll keep it light Uh-oh. for now. So... I do know that the two of you met working at a restaurant together when uh, Justin noticed your Psychic TV shirt T-shirt, and you guys started talking about music. It was it was Aaron's T-shirt, and, oh, and, and Aaron's uh, T-shirt, yes. living in the Midwest at 1993. <laughs> uh, listening Talk about dating to, yourself, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, somebody listening to Psychic TV. I'm listening to Skinny Puppy and Ministry. I was like, that's different and you're we're gonna get along <laughs> and Aaron you have a, a skinny puppy podcast or you did at some point correct oh yeah yeah well, did you say skinny puppy it's a band yes. okay. yeah no I, I had a uh, I used to be part of a forum which that's kind of dating myself right there but <laughs> we were all into skinny puppy and so then I, I started a podcast where I would have guests on and then my co-host he would make the music and uh, we would just talk about basically 
media. We would talk about music. We would talk about movies, whatever we wanted to. But awesome. it all centered around our love for the band. That's awesome. Well, you guys are lucky we started Generation Y. Otherwise, you'd be at this goth industrial convention. <laughs> this, this other podcast. <laughs> and you're all underdressed. I'm sorry. Yeah, completely different aesthetic. So I know that you came up with the idea for Generation Y together after you, Justin, served on a jury for a murder trial. Is that correct? And you really wanted to talk about it. Yeah, yeah. It, uh, jury selection was on a Monday morning, and I put a man away for life on Thursday. And um, that's, you know, not and then how I it goes. was able to exonerate him <laughs> six years later due to, due to jury misconduct. <laughs> oh, ooh. But, you know, most of us don't know how, you know, we watch Law and & Order and CSI, and I'm like, I want to tell people how the system really works. It, you know, Aaron and I always had an interest in these things, but my interest was never like, oh, I'm about the grisly murder or anything. It was like, no, this is how this person was found guilty or yeah. not guilty or wrongfully convicted, what have you. Okay, so now, Justin, I'm going to target you, okay? <laughs> So I know that your birthday is November 17th. Makes you a Scorpio, so go Scorpios. Yeah. Um, I, is it true that one of your favorite true crime documentaries is The Keepers? No. Um, well, your Instagram says otherwise. <laughs> Ooh. Oh, it's a little... False advertising. The Instagram probably more reflects me than it, it said, does him. It said Justin colon The Keepers in response um, to the question. <laughs> Uh, I, I, weirdly enough, I, I do love it. It's a great one, but it's not my favorite. What's your favorite? Um, God. Uh, well, when we first started the podcast, uh, Aaron really wanted to talk about The Staircase. And that was literally my first introduction to a true crime documentary. So that one always holds a special place in my heart. That's a good one. I found out yesterday <laughs> that if you want to see the vein in Jim Clemente's temple that comes right here... <laughs> All you have to do is pop into a room and say, the owl did it, and leave. <laughs> Please do You'll that. hear him yelling at you 200 feet down the hallway. So. When it comes to documentaries, though, mine are Dear Zachary and The Keepers. So yeah. it would be me, yes. not yeah. Justin. Okay. That's probably what the, the misinformation probably. on our social media was actually Aaron. But I'll blame Whoever it. I'll researched blame it, on you, it may have made a boo-boo. Yeah. No, it was I Bob. It was Bob. I thought misinformation was not allowed on social media. Uh, <laughs> yeah, wait. I thought everything on the internet was 100% true. Yeah, right. Abe Lincoln said so. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> said, don't trust everything. Did he post that on Twitter? Yeah. Okay, yeah. great. Um, okay, so then let's move on. I do know, Justin, that you do apparently pronounce the word picture weirdly. Oh, that's yeah. That's a big point of contention. And now, like, I, I almost intentionally mispronounce <laughs> words just because Aaron answers all the emails and hate mail and stuff, and I'm like... <laughs> <laughs> so how do you pronounce picture? I, I, I say picture. Picture. How do you pronounce the thing that has two handles and one wheel that you roll stuff around oh. in? Wheelbarrow? Well, what? Wheelbarrow? Did you say barrel? Barrel? Yeah. <laughs> Fuck you to everyone you, who no. says I'm pronouncing it wrong. In the Midwest, we say wheelbarrow. Yeah. Uh, I just said, uh, no, same, same here. Yeah. And uh, what, what's up? What are you, else? a barrow guy? Yeah. I think Aaron and I are barrel. I like to be accurate. Barrow. Yeah. But, yeah. But we don't say warsh or rassle or the crick. We don't say any of that. <laughs> I literally met a guy who said George Washington, and I'm like... <laughs> oh, and by the way, speaking of pronunciations, Justin brought up the whole Will Smith controversy where somehow he beat Denzel Washington at the Oscars. And for me, I said Denzel Washington, and everyone kept running in and saying, how come you don't know how to pronounce his name? So I've been having to send the video of Denzel talking about his mm -hmm. name and saying how no one's ever gotten it right, and he's basically given up trying to correct everyone, and so now he's Denzel, <laughs> even though he's Denzel. <laughs> I don't. I don't want to. Um, I, I don't want to throw a little kink into your thing here. But it was actually Chris Rock that he beat at the Oscar. He <laughs> <laughs> completely mispronounced That's it. That's not a surprise, though. The surprise <laughs> is beating Denzel. That's the real. Justin's right. That's the surprise. Sorry, it's a Red Bull and Ritalin kind of morning. So. <laughs> For me, it was a whiskey ginger kind of morning. So. All right, so Justin, you used to skateboard. Yes. You went to college for theater. Yes. You got into IT to pay for college, but wasn't really your passion, right? Well, what's funny is I was getting a high-paying job to pay for college to get a job <laughs> as an actor in theater where I would have starved to death, and I'm like, I might as well just stick with the job that's paying for college, and I 
dropped out of college and became a very high-paid IT person. <laughs> but we can all agree that it's creepy as shit that she knows that, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, that, that's, that's you Doug Geet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, just wait. Uh, so I'm going to list off some of your favorite comedy movies. I bet you've never had somebody tell you your own favorites to your face, but here we go. Uh, Team America, Ace Ventura, Naked Gun, Monty Python and the Holy Grail, and Christmas Vacation. Those are mine. Those you, are you guys are posting wrong on Instagram. This is all. It says Justin Colin. Aaron is running the Instagram, clearly. My favorite, you, com- like My favorite comedy is Grizzly Man. Okay. <laughs> because that's a comedy. Uh, is that Grizzly Man... Don't poke the bear. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I think I've seen that. Ace Ventura, the original or the sequel? Uh, actually, both. The <laughs> I mean, sequel literally is terrible. Both. No, it's hilarious. I mean, I guess when he comes out of the rhinos, but that's. Don't you remember the whole mucus thing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or the raccoon at the beginning? Right. Yeah. All right, I'll give you that. <laughs> okay. Well, now since I've gotten so much wrong with Justin, we'll go to Aaron. Uh, so you were born on December 28th in Detroit, Michigan. Go Michiganders. We've got three Michiganders on the stage. Now you live in Kansas City, correct? Where your favorite local restaurant is an Indian place called Seva? That's actually correct. And you pronounced it correctly. Thank you. <laughs> you put the pronunciation on there for me, so thanks. And then your house, your neighbors kindly refer to your house as the crime house. Do they not? Yeah, we're real popular. Did they not? <laughs> Why did... Why do they call it the crime? I mean, we could use my imagination. or you know. Honestly, I think it's because most of our street, there are a lot of highly religious people on our street. And so when they looked down at our, our, our end of things, there's a, an officer and his family lives across the street from us. And we're known as like the pagan end of the, the road <laughs> uh, or something like that. They think you know? you're witches. But when they found out I had a crime podcast, now we're just the crime house. And then the, the officer's house, they don't even talk about them anymore. So <laughs> now we're crime house. And in and, and Aaron's neighborhood, it's like, I would say every five houses is a police officer that lives there. <laughs> it's, it's a very... Very secure yeah. neighborhood. Yeah, when I drive to his house, I, I can't speed. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, Aaron, you got into... Your interest in true crime, I guess, was sparked by In Search Of with Leonard Nimoy and the novel Zodiac. That's right. Is that correct? Great. Okay, so now I'm doing okay, better. Cool. Good talk. Yeah. All right. Yeah. You're, you're going back up now. Yeah. Okay. I'm <laughs> building myself back up there. All right. You're a martial artist or a mar- mixed martial arts fan? <laughs> yeah, we watch UFC. USC. Yeah. Did you say he's a martial artist? No, I, I missed. Or a, a martial fan, artist. Fan martial of... arts fan. Mixed martial yeah. arts fan. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yes. Aaron and I uh, watched the UFC from UFC one, like from the beginning, and uh, I've I've never taken a mixed martial arts class or anything, but I've watched the hell out of that. <laughs> I bet I could put a rear naked choke on somebody. <laughs> it's really like the uh, the shirtless sweaty men <laughs> rubbing together with each other. I actually did put someone in a rear naked choke when I worked at the restaurant. <laughs> With, with Justin and I was there and there was a young lady working there and then the cook kept bothering her and trying to get her to go out with him but in a very inappropriate manner and I walked up to him and I said you need to knock it off and he said what are you going to do about it I put him into a rear naked choke and started squeezing and put he had to sleep. tap to give up why did you make him naked I mean couldn't you have just left his <laughs> it would have worked with his clothes on I bet it's more intimate. You shouldn't that just blurt out anything because what's in your head is only in your head. Now you've shared it with everyone. Um, I'm just imagining you're like, I'm gonna whoop your ass. Let me just take your shirt off. Hold on. Let me just, I got, we're gonna well, these, pants, these, these pants gotta go if I'm gonna put you in this. It was not a sanctioned bout, so we were actually still dressed. Bob, when you take your clothes off before, it's a show of dominance. Right. I think he's used to that. Unless it's know. cold outside. Okay, my last one, Aaron. You have an Instagram that I love for your three cats, <laughs> Bo, Stormy Squirrel, a.k.a. Tiny Werewolf, and Baby. Yeah. But you also, at least at one time, had a bird, a tarantula, and some fish. And two rats. And now two rats. What are the rats' names? 
Uh, well, they're named after the singers, Billy and Taylor. Swift. Taylor Swift, Billy Eilish. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Uh, you know, I have I have just one more thing to add. I did a little more research than you, Erica, and it's um, Aaron won't eat yellow cheese. That's true. Put no. yellow cheese on something, it's dead to me. It won't. <laughs> that's not going in. Why? Why? Why won't you eat yellow cheeses? I don't know why, but um, I think when I was a kid, it's kind of like white chocolate. I had some, and my stomach was like, uh. Uh-uh. And then ever since then, I've just been like, I'm not eating white chocolate or yellow cheese. Does anybody eat white chocolate? I like it. Oh, okay. Uh, but I eat anything, <laughs> literally anything. Right? I can hang out with vegans. I can hang out with meat eaters. I, I'll eat it all. It, uh, it is all good to me. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, that concludes our research portion. Big hand for Erica Cantor. Thank you, guys. All right, that that right there shows you how much work I put into the interviews on True Crime Bench. Uh, So on on a more serious note, what I wanted to talk to you guys about, and the reason we have Justin and Aaron up here today, is because they are, I I mean, if not the, one of the original True Crime podcasts. Was there there anybody before you guys, or were you the first? I, I got this. <laughs> Justin Dan- loves to talk about it. <laughs> we were the first. Yeah, yeah. No, no. Dan Zapansky, True Murder, was the first. And I love Dan Zapansky, no shade at all. But I'm going to tell you, he is this crabby old guy who it, wrote a, an amazing book and he, and he would interview <laughs> authors and police officers and stuff, but he was always so grumpy during it. And he put <laughs> one episode out where his guest didn't show up. So it's 10 minutes of him just going, I don't know where he is. Blah, 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 blah. And he published it. And that's my favorite episode. <laughs> so what year did you guys make the first Generation Y podcast? 2012. It was in June. 2012. So that, that, I didn't even know what a podcast was in 2012. Was the, and at what point were you able to turn it into a career for yourselves? Probably not till 2015 or 16. Yeah. So, so you were three years of just making it for love of the game. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, I think our first sponsor was either my my wife's shop or his father's company. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. so. What I'd like to talk a little bit about, since you've been around now for 10 years in the space is the changes that you've seen in the true crime space over those 10 years. Because it's, it's a very different world now than, than when you started. So can you talk a little bit about what you've seen change over the years? Jump in there. Yeah, the main thing that you'd see change is when we first started, we would get a few emails and messages. And a lot of them would actually be, are you former law enforcement? Because if you're not, you may not be qualified to talk about crimes. <laughs> Right. Yeah, if we weren't lawyers or authors or law enforcement, you're not supposed to talk about true yeah. crime. What are your qualifications? <laughs> yeah, and that and so there's there's been a huge arc with that over the years. So when you started it was like don't talk about crimes at all. Yeah. And that was like the first wave of true crime podcasts was were podcasts like yours where you're you know, just talking, telling stories about the crime, and, and, and you were told to stay in your lane. Yeah. Well, it has a lot to do with the time. Yeah. Dan Zupanski started at least several years before we did, probably even more than that. And so he would only talk to authors and people like that, so they were qualified. And so all they had to go off of was, well, Dan's qualified, but you're not. That was basically the message. And, right. and Dan ended up coming on our show, and that was like our first bump in exposure to huge numbers. So all love to Dan. He, he helped us out. So when, because I came in, I guess I would call it the second wave. Uh, we were pre-serial. You were kind of at, Post, at Yeah, and there was, yeah, so it was like, like BC. There's yeah. before, like, it was, it was BS. <laughs> you, you guys were two years BS. <laughs> Yeah, thanks. And I was six months. P.S. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but so you had the first. There was like this true crime podcast that started to to come in and grow, and everybody's told to stay in there. And it was like, in about the time people started to accept. I mean, did you guys start to feel by 2014 like an acceptance of what you were doing? Like people stopped giving you shit for talking about things that you shouldn't be talking about. 
Yeah, and it, and it, it obviously serial blew up. I mean, there was an SNL skit about it and everything, and so at that point, there was all these articles that came out of like, if you love serial, you'll love these podcasts, and we were always listed because we were pre, you know, we were P, uh, BS. You were BS, <laughs> right? Yeah, you had a BS podcast, and that's why they put you in there. And you started out with Serial Dynasty, right? Yeah. Yeah. We didn't need to mention that, though. (laughs) (laughs) Who's the host? Right. But the next wave that started was, you know, Serial comes out. And that was something very different, a serialized, long-form podcast. At the time, which seemed like an investigative podcast. I don't know. I think a lot of us know that that really fell short of, I mean... Bless Sarah Koenig for what she did and, and, and kicking this thing off and bringing that story to light. But the, there wasn't as much investigation as we thought. It was storytelling. Right. It was exposure, yeah. too. It, yeah. yeah. But, but what it did is it launched this new wave of podcasts, which is where I came in. I came in in 2015, where now the investigative podcast, it really got kicked off, I would say, with Robbie, Susan, and Colin with the Undisclosed podcast that said, okay, we're going to do something different. We're going to say, we don't care if we sound like shit. We don't care, which they'll tell you their first few episodes were almost unlistenable. Uh, they're much better. Well, they're, they're done now, sadly. Um, but but they're, they, they got much better and they got a team behind them. They said, we're just going to talk about an, invest, an investigation and, and start really breaking down a case. And they didn't get the stay in your lane business because no. they were lawyers. No. So they were, they were allowed. But then comes me, a fireman. It was like, you know what? I want to investigate not only the case, but the way the attorneys worked the case and the way the judge acted about the case. And that came that that took the hate off of you guys and put it on to get out of our lane. Yeah. Yeah. Put put the mic down and pick up the hose, buddy. Right. (laughs) Get back to work. Yeah, and it's just it's it's crazy, and there's a lot of other changes I want to talk about. But it's what's amazing to me now. So seven years since I've been into this, when we were constantly told to stay in our lane, cops hated what we were doing, lawyers hated what we were doing. That that, that this is our space, and you shouldn't be there. And no one knew what to do with me because I was this outsider. You know, I'm going to the courthouses, pulling documents, reporting, investigating, interviewing people that were connected to these cases. And there, I didn't have to follow the rules of a lawyer. I didn't have to follow the rules of a police officer. I was a complete outsider. And then I brought a couple hundred thousand more outsiders with me to help engage. So now there's all these amateurs, and we were told to stay in our lane. And it's 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 the undisclosed team, Michelle Barron. You got you know Josh Hallmark with the Israel Keys case with the true crime bullshit. The list goes on and on and on. A lot of them all are around here that are non-lawyers, non-police officers, non-law enforcement that are investigating these cases. And while they're telling us to stay in our lane, look at what's happened in the last seven years. Look at how many people have been exonerated, wrongful convictions overturned, missing person cases solved, cold cases solved by outsiders like you guys, like us. And to me, that's been the, the, the greatest asset. You know, Allison Clayton of the Innocence Project of Texas, who I've worked with a lot, you know, when she was told that she had to work with me, she was like, you're saddling me to work with this fucking podcaster on this case that I'm, I'm working on? And since then, the Innocence Project is now bringing cases to us and bringing cases to other podcasts. They've realized the value of the outsiders getting involved and of the ordinary people around the world that are pitching in and helping to solve these cases and make a difference. So I just want to take a minute and salute all of you, the outsiders, because I think it's our lane now. The effective lane. And and where it could be exploitive or, you know, entertainment for some, I mean, we're sitting here at our booths and we have families coming up and giving us thumb drives or documents are like, my daughter's been missing for 20 years and no one cares. Can you please cover it? And that's, that's, you know, that's the shift now because they can't get, uh, you know, a big TV network or police or anyone to look at their case. And now they have an outlet for it. 
Yeah. Do you guys get a lot of? I'm sure because. So now you've kind of got this. You've got the almost storytelling, the uh, episodic type episodes like you guys do, Nick and Captain with True Crime Garage do, and so many. Then you've got the investigative podcast and the different comedy podcasts even that are all about true crime. But I don't think people realize how often do you guys have doing what you do, people coming to you saying, please help us. No one, we're, people are begging for a voice. Do you guys often have people coming to you asking them to give them that voice? I'm sure you do too. It's almost weekly or daily. Yeah. 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 And so I, I think that it's important to understand that so many of these podcasts that you listen to, that you enjoy, that are entertaining, that are even fun, that they are podcasting with purpose. They're creating this content with purpose because it may just be an interesting story to you, but for that family, I just had a, a, a woman of just right before I came up on stage, uh, give me a pamphlet and this long write-up about her daughter. And I do mostly wrongful conviction stuff. It's probably more up your guys' alley. Um, but it's an unsolved case. The police closed it, said it's probably an accident. And so she just had been begging and fighting for years for somebody to look at her case. She needs somebody. And they figured out over the years that it's not the insiders that are going to do it. It's going to be guys like Justin and Aaron and all of you and us that are going to tell the stories, that are going to give them the voice, that are going to finally get some movement in their case. I mean, look what's happened in the, in the West Memphis 3 case, a case that's lied dormant for, for 11 years since the Alford plea, is moving again. Actually, in the court system, motions are filed on June 23rd. We have a hearing before a judge to test the evidence in that case, not because of anything that happened with the lawyers, not that because of anything that happened with a judge, because tens of thousands of ordinary people around the world blasted the DA's office with every every email, phone call, standing outside the office, social media posts, until they had no other choice to listen to us. And so that, that's, that's what I love about this space, what I love about this conference, about, you know, is all the good that gets done here. Uh, it's not like we're, like, Nick and the captain just goofing around all the time. You know? <laughs> and, and, and sadly, the squeaky wheel gets the grease, you know, whether it be a detective. He's got a caseload a mile long or a prosecutor is like what why should I care about you or why why does this you know detective why should she care about you and your case and the more pressure you put on and I mean and the Golden State Killer was just solved after you know right. decades uh, because there is you keep that pressure on there you know yeah the other thing is too so I mean I have an investigative podcast I'm a part of I can't take all the credit most of the credit goes to my partner Jake but we do deep 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 dives on cases on framed that, and get framed, right? story. Yeah. And the great thing about that was, is there was a case many years ago in 2006, I believe when Mario Casaro, I mean, he ended up being convicted of the supposed murder of his coworker because Brian Carrick went to work one day and he disappeared. He never even left the building as far as anyone can tell. And Kathleen Zellner represented him and she was able to free him. But, you know, when you listen to our season one of Frame, you can hear how all of the evidence, all of the forensic evidence pointed to somebody. And there are real questions about why the investigators didn't run with the evidence. They ran with a theory. The theory was weighed more heavily. So, yeah, talk about staying in your lane. If you want to stay in the lane and get these same terrible results that put people away, um, then you can go with that. But otherwise, the rest of us can start making noise and changes can happen when they need to. Yeah, because I think most people would agree, even a lot of the people that are on the inside would agree that our criminal justice system's broken. And it didn't just break, it was always broken. The, the, the system was, it's one of those things that looks good on paper. Like, oh, well, people are innocent until they're, until they're proven guilty. So that really puts the prosecutors at a disadvantage. So the prosecutors get to make the first opening statements. They get the final, the final word. They get, they get all the advantages of trial because they're at a disadvantage because the jury knows that this person is innocent unless we can prove them guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. When the reality is that was never the case. It's never been the case. Justin, like you, the jury you were on, were you wrongfully convicted that guy? Uh, <laughs> 
but, I didn't like the way he looked at me when he was sitting at the table. Right. I, I saw the murder in his eyes. <laughs> I saw him sitting there, and I figured the police wouldn't have put him there unless he's guilty. But but you know what? Sadly, uh, I, uh, you know something about that case, and I, I feel very good about my decision, but the prosecutor has all the resources. They have all the evidence. They have everything against it. The defense attorney had nothing. They don't have the resources. It was a public defender. She probably had a million cases. She didn't even bother cross-examining the witnesses. Right. Didn't even bother. What was I supposed to do when it's just like, this guy says this dude killed his girlfriend, and there's all, all I'm told is no fingerprint or DNA evidence was found at the scene connecting the murderer, but no DNA or fingerprint evidence was found from the guy that lives there either. And I'm like, well, the guy says he killed his girlfriend. And they have a relationship, and they've known each other, and they're buying drugs from each other. This is what I have to go on. And the defense didn't even show up, like literally didn't show up. I think a big problem with this whole system, as you're talking about, is the fact that prosecutors can do wrong, knowingly do wrong. Right. And you can't really hold them accountable. Immunity. They have They have God powers. <laughs> yeah, they're, they, they have immunity, so they don't have to worry about, you know, it. There was one prosecutor in the United States one time that actually was imprisoned for uh, prosecutorial misconduct. And I believe it was in Texas, and I believe he served uh, 10 days. In for jail. how long did he's he put brutal. The, He put a guy away for like decades, right. wrongfully, and yeah, he served 10 days. Yeah, and, and you brought up a good point, Justin, about the you know a, a big broken piece of our system is the disadvantage and disparity you have if you don't have money yeah. you know there there's there's a there's a huge racial component and there's a huge money component if you have a public defender and don't have money for experts while the state can just the prosecutors can just hire any experts they want and they can get any testing they want done the person with the public defender that public defender has to go to the judge and beg and plead for an allowance to be able to hire a, a, a public or to hire an expert, rarely are they allowed to, and they might have a budget for one expert. You know, so you see cases like the staircase or, or you know, like that, where they've got all this money. Uh, and I, I don't really have an opinion about that case. I don't know anything about it, really. But they have all this money, and they can hire the best attorneys that'll focus on their case and the and the and the best experts to refute and to, and to create a good defense in front of the uh, in front of the jury. But the problem is most people don't have that. Most people that are in the system don't have that opportunity. And, and I, I remember the first kind of critical email I got that actually I took to heart and was like, oh, I need to shift my verbiage on this. But it was from a public defender because I made an offhanded comment like, oh, this guy had a public defender and he got screwed in court. And they took it as a personal offense that I was bashing public defenders. And I'm like, no, they're doing God's work. They're doing, you know, they're doing what they can. But they, they laid it out in their email. They're like, I have 300 cases. I might have five minutes before trial to review who I'm about to defend. And I have to figure out you know, I don't have any money for an expert witness to counter there. So all I can do is counter or cross-examine the prosecutor's expert witness. Uh, and, and, and it really was eye-opening to me to hear that. I think when you also talk about broken system, you have to bring up how many people are incarcerated in the United States. And we talk about how free we are, but you can compare our country to virtually any other country in the world, North Korea even, and you'd be shocked at where our numbers are at. Forget what proof there was. There's a, there's something going on there. Does does every other country not care? Well, I mean, just look at the rate of people don't realize that you watch TV dramas about court cases every time somebody gets arrested in the trial and everything that happens. The fact of the matter is, like 97 percent of cases plead out. Wow. And, and I get so angry when I hear people they'll you know they say, well, if they no one would plead guilty unless they're guilty. Well, it's my, such bullshit. My, my, my saying is plea deals, screw the innocent, and uh, only help the guilty. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, because they, you know, they, they come to you and tell you, like, look, we're going to take you to trial. You don't have money to defend yourself. And if you lose, you're going to go to prison for 25 years. Or you can plead guilty and go for five years and be out in two and a half. It just puts you in, a, in an impossible position. All the time, and and I've had the same. I think we've all had that same email. I, we've all, 
I guess we could talk a little bit about what we've learned along the way because that's definitely the, the public defender. I was the same way. I started off and I'm like, I, I'm just looking at statistics and like all these people that are pleading out or losing with public defenders as opposed to private attorneys and didn't really at the time consider that it's not the fault of the public defender when you have a, an attorney that has thrown a caseload of literally hundreds of cases and they have 20 of them they got to deal with every day. They, they don't have the resources to do a good job. Not to do a good job, but to do a thorough job, I yeah. should say. Yeah. They're at a disadvantage. For sure. Yeah. So what other lessons have you guys learned along? I mean, I think you guys learned not to talk about the Adnan Syed case that one time. <laughs> <laughs> That's oh, how we met. But, but I, I, there, there are some cases that I'm like, oh, I will totally talk. Like, we normally stay away from the hot topic cases these days, but... After watching Making Murder season two, I want to slam that so hard. Have you? <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're, you're you're early on the ball. It was what two years ago that came out. I know. No, it's, it's still hot for him. Yeah. Aaron was a wor little worried because I was just like, no, because how do you go from the first season where it was the boyfriend or the the police to oh, it was one of his brothers? Now I'm like, you're just. You're just making it up as you go. and They're uh, getting closer to Steven. Yeah, and then there, there was the little blood smear on the dashboard from the key, and they're, like, recreating this. And I'm like, the guy looks like he's playing the game of Operation not to, like, smear the blood. I'm like, this is bullshit. <laughs> this is, no. Avery did it. <laughs> he's still in prison, by the way. Good. <laughs> Does anyone want to disagree with Justin about? <laughs> you know? uh, so, I mean, we we're all called like bleeding hearts because we we take on these wrongful conviction cases, and people are like, "Oh, well, that you know, that person probably did it. That person probably did it." But I'm like, "Yeah, I, my bleeding heart only goes so far." And then when there's something obvious like the Avery case, I'm like, "No." <laughs> um, let's let's talk about hate mail. <laughs> <laughs> You're talking to me then, right? <laughs> you, you, so, yeah, Aaron, you haven't talked much. You don't, you don't, uh, uh, you were the one that handles all, all the emails and stuff, right, for you guys? I don't read the emails. I don't read the reviews. Haven't in years because some mouth breather in Idaho is not going to change my way of doing my podcast. <laughs> so, Aaron, when you read the email from the mouth breather in Idaho. <laughs> no offense <laughs> against Idaho. Yeah. Anybody here from Idaho? <laughs> well, well, fuck you, according to Justin. <laughs> See what he started. Right. It could have been Wyoming. It could have been email. Now I'm getting a second one from Idaho. <laughs> do, you have, do you have any particular hate mail that you've gotten that was either something you actually learned something from? Oh, I have examples. Yeah, okay. let's start with... Now, you brought up Adnan Sayed. Okay, so... Years ago, we had a listener in New York, and she would send us pictures of her cat and tell us, hey, if you're ever out, we got, you know, I'll make you dinner, whatever, come by. You know, she's very friendly, always gave us feedback on our episodes. And then one day, we released an episode where Justin had interviewed someone named Rabia Chaudhry. <laughs> and the next thing I know, this woman who is a huge mega fan, always told us we were number one, said, you're dead to me, I'm so disappointed. I can't believe you would have that terrible person on. And um, that showed me that anybody that listens to us could be gone tomorrow. Yeah. Because right. it's that simple. You and, guys are and very I passionate. Robbie, I didn't understand where the problem was. Uh -huh. uh, but, you know, I'm just, I believe the email. Like, they really hated this person. And I, even though I didn't understand why, I knew this person was no longer listening to us. So we lost the listener in New York. My, my favorite one, though, was uh, it was a, I don't remember the case, but uh, it was a mother and daughter. Mother probably killed the daughter. And there were plans to go eat at Taco Bell for dinner. And I said, who plans to go to Taco Bell? That just, <laughs> that just happens, you know? It's, it's like... You don't plan to go to a strip club. You just end up there, and it's always a bad idea. And that's Taco Bell. And I was accused of poor shaming. <laughs> Anyone that can't afford anything outside of Taco Bell, they hated me because I was a poor shamer. This is the level of criticism we can receive. Have, have, you, guys, <laughs> have you guys been accused of words that you didn't know existed until 
you. So it's, it's kind of the as we've grown. Like I've, I've been, there's a lot of ists, like fill in the word ist that I'll get. And I'm like, and it's like that. It would be. I don't know. We were talking about somebody like walking in and doing this, and I said something like, "Well, anybody could walk and do that." And then I got told I was an ableist, which, and I'm not. I'm not knocking those. We're like, 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 like we're all learning, right? We're growing, but it's very hard. And I'm curious if you guys agree with it. it it's very difficult to be in a public light where every single week you get on and you talk for a living, and you put it out, especially if you're like me who really doesn't care for social media. And doesn't Same. do a lot with social media. <laughs> I don't know when the goalposts move all the time, and and, and and so it's stuff like that. I'm like, I'm not allowed to say somebody walked because I'm an, I never even heard the term ableist before. Uh, and we learn from them. But do do you guys have you ever been accused of being something that you had to look up? Never. <laughs> <laughs> no, we have been isted before. <laughs> um, I remember there was way I, I don't remember the case, but there was a case where we said our commentary and gave our opinions, and someone accused us of being racist because we didn't agree with them. And I didn't know how they made that leap, but I was offended, and I I told them I was offended, and I didn't like that. But were you offended for yourself? It's like a trigger. Like, I don't like being accused of stuff that I'm not. Oh, right. It happens to me daily. Call me bald all day. Yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> but but we, we get a lot of emails for people that are offended for someone else. Yeah. Yeah. Those are the always difficult to navigate because you never know. And this is like, this is just real talk. Like, I'm not even like knocking some of this stuff, but it, it just so you guys know some of the stuff that we deal with, you know. So we'll do. I'll give an example. I played a clip during an investigation. You're interviewed about, a guy. You're about to put your foot in your mouth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I said this word. And no, uh, but but I'm interviewing this guy about the case, and it was like it was seemed like it was probably a racially motivated crime. The person that's interviewing was very clearly a racist by the words he used, and I fucking aired it. I I just I I and and I had that 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 discussion in my mind whether I should or not because but, I don't like the words and yeah. that he was saying but, but you wanted to show the ugliness of it the right. horribleness of it um, but, but I yeah. think yeah there's this line between being respectful and then me why am I going to hide the fact that this guy's an asshole yeah and, and it may even be relevant to the crime but you gave him a platform now and that's what they yeah. probably did and, and, like. and he used he used some language it was uh, <clears throat> I, I <laughs> Nope, not going to do it. I was going to quote him. <laughs> decided not to. Um, but you he, he used point. some language that, that was that was very offensive to to the African American community. Not the big one, but it was you know, and and I, and I played this, and I got a million emails from white ladies telling me how offended they were by it, and and so the the the, the hard position it puts me in. And I, I want to put you, if you guys ever get in that situation is, I get it, but it's like, it's not my black listeners that are upset. Like, and as a matter of fact, some of them have told me, I'm glad you played it. I'm glad that fucker was exposed like that. But then I've got another group over here telling me that I'm an asshole for playing it. And so I guess what I'm saying is give us a little grace sometime because we don't know what the hell to do. Well, we will get emails saying, oh, you guys didn't do a good enough job. You didn't bring in the racial issue enough. And then other people are like, you're always making it about race. It's like it's from both sides and you can never do it correctly for most people. We're just telling it in the way we want to yeah. tell it. And uh, yeah. Yeah, we got about five more minutes. Is there anything else we can do to complain about our jobs? Or yeah. to... Oh, is this where we bring in a case for five yeah. minutes? Yeah, any cases. <laughs> and and all, all I can say is I don't get offended when people mix up the subgenre of metal that I listen to. They're like, oh, Justin listens to metal. I'm like, no, I listen to grindcore. <laughs> Educate yourself. It's grindcore. <laughs> what is What is grindcore? It is the most like aggressive. It's like speed metal and uh, thrash metal all in one, like smashed together. Can you uh, give us a little example? Maybe throw it on a beat or something. Well, the, one of my favorite bands is Pig Destroyer. <laughs> Pig Destroyer, like, so are we talking? Is this like like guar type stuff? Um, guar is a little bit more uh, theatrical. 
Oh, that's too soft for you? <laughs> Aaron's Guar, I'm more Pink Destroyer. So is the stuff you listen to, like, uh, do the lyrics go something like, is it kind of like that? Yeah, that but if you actually like... read them, they're very poetic. <laughs> <laughs> we'll need an audio filter to figure that out. Right, right. Yeah, I just said something racist. And I'm sorry. I, I didn't know. I apologize. Uh, we've got a few, a few minutes left. If I were to walk down the floor, there are a couple people that would want to ask any questions. Jump in there. Come on. Nope. Okay, we'll just keep going then. Oh, God. Oh, my God. <laughs> Why wasn't I invited? <laughs> Sit down. We know you too well. Sit down. <laughs> there go your three minutes. There you go. <laughs> three minutes are gone now. I had a whole thing planned. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Bob Ruff. <laughs> oh, wait, that's that other guy. Do you, do that other bearded they tattoo. They do you guys want to hear another crossover show at True Crime Garage and Gen Y? Do you like those? <laughs> and Bob Ruff. Yeah. yeah, I'll just fuck you guys. <laughs> it's been so a while. We were so just... Bob, Bob, Bob there's, there's a good barbecue joint you could eat at. Fun <laughs> right, there. Get out of here. Uh, we were just discussing, do you have a favorite hate mail? Yeah, I had this guy that, uh, well, last week... <laughs> By the way... Captain is the only one that reads every email and takes every one so deep to the heart. I do not. He, he told me to go hang myself. And I told him that I just got done trying, but the rope broke. And then he wrote me back and said, I'm so sorry. I hope you actually didn't try to hang yourself. I was having a bad day. And I said, so was I. So one of the things we've learned is that we don't joke about suicide anymore. Uh, <laughs> Except for the captain. This is Bob Ruff throwing me under the bus for the second time. <laughs> and, and, you, and you don't say commit suicide. You say took one's life or killed themselves. Or completed suicide. Yeah, you can't that, say that either. Oh, is that not, a, not okay? You anymore? can't say that either. See, I was literally told in an email that. I'll to send you a guide. Say, There's a guide. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, so I, I, since he's sitting here, so tomorrow's episode of Truth and Justice is an excerpt from a live show that I did with Captain in Michigan a couple of weeks ago, where we discussed the John Benet Ramsey case, and uh, it, during the course of that, we disagreed. I I leaned towards the Jim Clemente side, and he leaned towards some nonsense Santa. Theory. And I I leaned towards logic. Right. <laughs> so. Thursday night when we get into town, I'm sitting at the bar having a drink with Jim Clemente, and uh, Captain tells me that he just got in, and he's checking in. I'm like, oh, stop by the bar and have a drink with me. And so he stops by, and he's there with Jim. I'm like, Jim, this is the captain, Captain Jim. By the way, the captain <laughs> says that you're wrong about everything about the John Bonet case, and you're kind of an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't say kind of an idiot. Yeah. He said he thinks you're an idiot. Yeah. And then Jim yelled at me for an hour. <laughs> And I did pee myself just a little bit. <laughs> and Jim, Jim, that vein? That vein. Both of them were popping real hard. Yeah. You're trying to get them thrown out of the casino. <laughs> right? It was, it was the best thing ever. It was so bad. Everybody, so my wife Becky and Zach and Zach's wife Michelle were all sitting there. And the three of them were like, I'm so uncomfortable. And I'm going, this is the best thing that's ever happened to me. Yeah. Look, look at them go. And I came from Columbus, which was 40 degrees. So I had a coat on. And so for an hour, I'm sweating inside my coat. He had a green coat on, that, like a parka. He looked like the Riddler from the new Batman yeah. movie. A lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I have this guy that looks like a penis wearing glasses yelling at me. And then there's, of course, Bob... I'm telling Jim you said that about it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's not the best story. The best story is Idris Elba. Oh, yeah. Do we, so, we have time? We've got time story? for... So I big-timed Idris Elba, and my wife's still mad at me about it. <laughs> when, we, when we were... Do, I was doing a speaking tour in the UK. We were in London, and after the show, we went to the, uh, some, some bar in Notting Hill, and I have a, I got a thing about crowds and people in my bubble. I get a little weird about it. And 
What are you talking about? He hugs you. Like, every time he sees me, he hugs me. It's because you're so soft and cuddly. <laughs> Just like you, Bob. <laughs> so we go to this, to this pub, and somebody meets me out front and says, everybody's waiting in the back for you to take pictures with them. And I'm like, all right. I walk in, and the pub is wall-to-wall people. And so immediately my blood pressure went, bing. I'm like, oh, God. Like, I, this is not my thing. I do not like this. And then I start walking in, and some guy says, hey, Idris Alba's here, and he wants to take a picture with you. I don't know who Idris Alba is. <laughs> I, Only one of the best-looking guys in the history of guys. <laughs> Literally was Sexiest Man Alive that year. So I go walking through the bar, and this guy's, like, guiding me through. I'm like, I got to just get to those people, take those pictures, and get the fuck out of here. And so I'm, I'm winding my way back through there. And then he's like, here he is. And he goes up, and there's Idris at the bar, this beautiful man. And he's like, here. And, he wa- and, he, and he's like, hey, man. And he walks over and shakes my hand. And I shook his hand, and he goes, you want to take a picture? And I said, I said, I like you do it. Picture. <laughs> I said, exactly. That's I said, right you want to take a picture? Or he says, you want to take a picture? And I was like, I will in a minute, man. I've got a bunch of people back there, so <laughs> I'll catch you in a little bit. And walked away, did my thing with all the people from the show, oh and then I came back to the glaring, just hateful eyes of my wife. Just, why did you do that? I'm like, do what? She said, why would you not take the picture with Idris Alba? You blew him off. I'm like, who's Idris Alba? She's like, well, Becky also was uh, mad at you because you didn't invite him back to the hotel. <laughs> <laughs> so you could take pictures. All right. And on that note, that's our time. His name's the captain. That's Justin and Aaron. Generation Y, True Crime Garage. Check them out. I'm sure they'll be your next big true crime binge. Thank you, everybody. Crime Binge is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Audioboom. Produced and edited by Mike Bussing. Music and artwork by Shane Yoder of PutThemInASong.com. Our website, TrueCrimeBinge.com, was created by Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com. If you're a listener and would like to recommend a future guest or a podcaster that would like to request an interview, you can do so right on our website. And again, that web address is TrueCrimeBinge.com. If you're enjoying the show, please do me a huge favor and take a minute to rate and review us on iTunes or whatever platform you're using to listen. And make sure you give us a follow on social media. We can be found everywhere at True Crime Binge. Thank you so much for listening, and make sure you tune in next Wednesday morning for another podcaster, another case, and another True Crime Binge.